0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable: Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Uh, So this morning we get to start a new series, a series which I am ecstatic about. It's a series in the book of 1 Peter. And what we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be taking nine weeks and we're going to be diving in and going through the entire book of 1 Peter. And the theme and the title of this series, as you see here, is unshakable. Unshakable. Now that's an interesting word to think about in the society that we're living in today. Because the things that have come into our society and the things that we've seen on the television and the things that we've uh, seen throughout the media, it causes fear and it causes people to feel shaken. I think as we hear this word unshakable, we think of a firm foundation and we uh, we think of not being moved. And that's what we need right now. We need something that causes us to be unshakable. Because the reality is with everything that's been going on in our culture today, we've been seeing things happen. Uh, people are more fearful than ever. Uh, we also see uh, within our society today that people are a depression and anxiety is on the rise because isolation in our homes and because people are looking at the future and the one thing that they do not see is what we're going to be talking about in this nine-week series and we're going to be talking about specifically today and the one thing is hope. Hope. The question then becomes, where does hope come from? And the title of today's sermon is that hope has a pulse. Hope is living and breathing. But our society, it it realizes what's going on, and and, and, uh, different media outlets have tried to answer the question of, what do we do when, when we struggle, when we're feeling Hopeless. In CNN in June, there was an article um, entitled Feeling Hopeless After a Tough Week. Here are five things that may help. First, acknowledge your feelings and put a label on them. I'm feeling hopeless. Second, connect with others. Third, get involved. Fourth, be kind to yourself. That's an important one. Five, acknowledge the good. Question then becomes What is the good? You know, as we look at these things that have been suggested in the CNN article, I would say that they're not bad things inherently. It's important to connect with others, if you're allowed to. Um, It's important to acknowledge your feelings and put a label on them. It's important to acknowledge the good. But all these are human-centered ideas that's trying to look at the person in order to find an answer for a spiritual problem. See, that's what we're seeing in our society today. What our society has done is it said, hey, listen, if we just get everybody on the same page, if we just get everybody unified, if we get everybody thinking the same way, if we get everybody who can buy into this one idea, if we all just come together in this time, then there's going to be hope and there's going to be peace. And here's how you do that. You acknowledge your feelings and be kind to yourself and make sure you acknowledge the good that is in this world. But there's some flaws within that that we continue to see. And the flaws are is that this world at its very core, as the Bible tells us, is wicked and depraved. The reality is is that, yes, it's important to acknowledge our feelings, but it's not our feelings that are going to give us hope because our feelings, uh, they move around and they're very fluid. We can feel one way because we woke up and the sun was shining. We feel another way because we ate bad pizza the night before. (laughs) Our emotions will mislead us. And that's what we continue to see is, listen, if you just get your emotions right and you think positively, everything's going to be fine. And the truth of the matter is, that is not where hope is found. Uh, But here's the beautiful truth, brothers and sisters. There is a hope. If you're here today and you feel hopeless, I want to tell you, there is a hope for you today. And it's nothing that the world has to offer at all. It's not money. It's not power. It's not success. It's not positive thoughts. It's none of those things. The hope that we have is living. And the hope that we have, the living hope that we have is Jesus Christ himself. That is the living hope that we have. And we learned today that hope has a pulse. And that hope is alive. Yet hope has to be properly directed. We have to realize that we need to give this world the only hope that will ever truly satisfy. The only hope that will ever pull them out of that depression. The only hope that will take away that anxiety. The only hope that will give them peace is Jesus Christ who is the living hope. So let's open our Bibles to 1st. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, feel free to pull out your cell phone, your iPad, whatever device that you have. Uh, look at 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have a copy of God's Word, it's near the back of the Bible. It's a smaller book, so it's okay if it takes you a little while to find it. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Now as you go there, I want to tell you a little bit about the cultural background of 1 Peter now, first Peter is talking to uh, a dispersion of Christians that are in Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, Galatia, which are all provinces of Turkey, which is actually a part of the Roman Empire at this time. You have to understand at the time of Peter, the Roman Empire was the world power. The Roman Empire was a superpower on the whole earth. It was a huge, vast geographical region. It was made up of all sorts of nations and cultures. And because of of this there was constant social, religious and political conflict. Does this sound like a nation that you might know <laughs> that we're living in today? Let's call the United States of America. 1 Peter talks to our everyday lives. And what's going on here is that Christians are facing religious persecution because of their faith. Because what happens when there's conflict is that both sides are going to try and pull you their way. And the reality is when the Christian stands firm in the ways of Christ, they're just going to get shot by both sides in the end. And so we have to continue to trust in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so they're under persecution and Peter is writing to them. And he's writing to them in order to encourage them and to give them hope. So let's go ahead and let's look at this text and let's read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So the first thing that we see here as we see the author of this text is Peter. Now, some of you may know who Peter is. Other of you may be asking the question, who is Peter? Well, Peter was an apostle, a follower of Jesus Christ. Peter was a fisherman. He was a regular old guy who had a fishing business with his brother. And one day, his brother Andrew introduces Jesus to Peter. Well, Peter, he was a revolutionist. He was somebody who wanted to go against the government. He was was a radical in his thinking. He was the first person to speak. He was type A personality to the extreme. He was loud and boisterous, and his mouth often got him into trouble. You guys are all thinking about that person that you know that reminds you of Peter at this very moment. But Peter also, because of his passion and his zeal, he also really connected with Jesus Christ. In fact, he was actually part of the inner circle of Jesus, which was Peter, James, and John. Peter is uh, the person who was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus Christ. Peter is the one who walked on top of water to go to Jesus. Yet Peter is also the one who denied Jesus three times, denying he even knew him so this is peter peter who has been at his lowest points in his faith and it's also been at the highest peaks of the faith at his highest peak he proclaimed that jesus was the son of god god revealed that to him at his lowest jesus himself called him satan those are highs and lows aren't they and he's writing this letter to this group of Christians. Now imagine getting a letter from Peter, a personal letter from Peter when you're in struggling and sorrow. And he's going to give them a way to proceed forward in the midst of their suffering. He's going to give them some reasons to have hope. The first thing is that we can praise God that heaven is secured. We can praise God that heaven is secured. And so Peter is writing and it says the audience who he is writing to. And this audience is defined by two words, elect and exile. So first we'll look at this word elect. Elect simply means chosen, picked out. What it's saying is that all those who Peter is writing to, the Christians, are those whom God has picked out, whom he has chosen, whom he has saved. They have been picked for God's team. They are on God's side, and God, in his grace, elected them. Brother or sister, if you are here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is the election and choosing of God that you are saved. Let that sit with you for just a minute. The word of God says it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Ephesians 1 says that for the foundations of the world, he chose us to be holy and blameless. He did this in love. If you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's because he chose you. And that's whom Peter is writing to elect. But then we see this other word that's completely opposite. It's this word exiles. This word exile means an enemy to the culture. This word exile means somebody who is not at home. And the reality is, is that in the culture that the Christians are living in, in mean, modern day Turkey, which was a Roman province at this time, they were not at home. And the truth of the matter is that we as Christians are not at home in the world that we live in. We are exiles. Exiles. This idea that he's talking about, this dispersion, this, th- these elect exiles, he is wanting to drive home that these elect chosen of God have a different home than Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, and the Roman provinces. Brothers and sisters, you have a different home than the United States of America. You have a different home and uh, a, a, a sending country, a, a national country than the United States. The reality is while we live in this great nation, we also are, a, we are an allegiance to a much higher power and to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so uh, I wonder if any of you may look at what's going on in our society today. You look at the media, you look at the way the values of our culture are going, you, you look at some of the crazy things you see on Facebook or on television and go, do these people even have a brain? And you go, are you kidding me? I don't know. I, I do not even know how to identify with this way of thinking. And the reality is, is that we can't because we have a different king and a different Lord and a different mind structure and different values and different morals if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior you have to realize that the thinking of the culture is depraved and dark-hearted and they are by nature children of wrath just like we were before God's election and his sovereign choosing so have you ever felt like an exile or a foreigner in your very own home Have you ever not identified with the culture That's because your home is in heaven. And that's the beautiful truth that we can praise God for. We can praise God that our heaven is secure. And he's writing to these people who are in this small region, probably about the size of Michigan. And this would have been a letter that would have gone around to a lot of different churches. And he is encouraging them. The text continues according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. Now we see here in this text, all three persons of the Godhead mentioned, according to the foreknowledge of God. Now this isn't just that God knew that it was going to happen, it is that God planned it out, and he specified it. What Peter's trying to get the Christians to believe here and to know is that God's choosing and election was planned out by him. And the persecution and suffering that they're currently facing is planned out by God. And it's for them to realize and acknowledge that God is sovereign and in control of all things. And while it doesn't make sense to us sometimes, uh, the secret things belong to the Lord. And we have to realize we're not always going to fully understand his mind or his reasoning, but we have to trust in him says for it says for the sanctification of the spirit this word sanctification it means becoming like christ but there's a sanctification that happens right at salvation where we are made holy and blameless in god's sight immediately because god exists outside of time yet there's also a progressive sanctification where we become more like jesus every single day then it continues it says for obedience to jesus christ we're set apart for obedience to jesus christ We're set apart to live for Jesus above anything and everything else. We're set apart to worship God and bring God great glory. That is why we live. We are alive to worship God. Then it says this beautiful phrase for sprinkling with his blood. Now you have to understand the Old Testament sacrificial system because Peter was a Jew this idea of sprinkling with his blood, what would happen is a priest would give a sacrifice and he would kill that animal and then they would take the blood of that animal and they'd sprinkle it on the altar and in that sprinkling on the altar, forgiveness of sins was given to that person. The sprinkling with his blood, that's showing forgiveness, but it's also showing this beautiful setting apart or ownership of God. He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Before we dive into the body of this letter, it's important to look at what the reason First Peter wrote this passage for, this entire book. And he says that in 1 Peter 5, verse 12. And I'm going to read it in a different version. We normally use the English Standard Version. Uh, but there's a, a version called the New um, living translation, and it's a translation that's very readable, and I think it really captures this idea. He says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Now, step back for just a minute. He's writing to elect exiles, People who feel like foreigners in their very own homes. People who are suffering persecution and sorrow for their faith. And he says that this is part of God's unmerited favor for you. Now that's hard for me to grab a hold of and just embrace But the reality is, is that what is going on in our lives, all of the suffering, all of the hardships, all of the things are planned by God in order to give us grace to make us more like Jesus. And we'll see how that works itself out. And he continues on in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept for you in heaven who by god's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time and this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter starts out by saying, blessed be God, praise God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy. Okay, now we're starting to unpack who our God is. Now we're starting to see some beautiful things for his people. The first thing Peter points out is the great mercy of God. Mercy that he has shown to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who are walking according to the ways of the world, who are by nature children of wrath. Mercy that God has given to his people. Mercy is defined as a kindness or concern expressed for someone in need. What an amazing realization that God knew our need. He knew our need to be rescued and saved from blindness, going after the ways of the world and the ways of our flesh, and he chose us, and he made us new in him by his great mercy. And then we see this next line here. He has caused us to be born again. Now it's important to stop and to slow down here because these eight words will change the way you view God. He, who? God has caused us to be what? To be born again. We're going to learn in just a minute what we're born again to. But let's focus on this for just a minute. God has caused. So all those who are in Christ who he is writing to, it is past tense that God has caused us to be born again. Now, Does this say that we caused us to be born again? It doesn't. Does it say that in our desire we were born again? Does it say because of our good deeds we were born again? No. We had nothing to do with this. He has caused us To be born again. Now, listen to that. Our merciful God and Savior has caused those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, only going after the ways of the world, to be born again. Isn't that an incredible truth? Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't just, I mean, for me, it makes me realize this beautiful love of God that I truly did not deserve to be saved, but God has caused me to be saved that gives you hope. That gives you hope that of all the people in this world, the Lord has chosen and caused you to be born again. He's a merciful God and he's gracious. That's where born again, it's a weird word, isn't it? If we think about this idea of being born again, it brings up some strange images. Jesus actually used this terminology when he talked to Nicodemus, a religious leader, in John chapter 3. This is how that text reads. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Nicodemus, you'll see this response. He's like, Okay, he's got we got to be born again? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? (laughs) Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Nicodemus is confused and maybe even disgusted with this idea and imagery of being born again. But when we think about it, this idea of being born again is what the Bible calls regeneration. Regeneration means being made alive. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, there it is again, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, amen, Amen. by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places, friends, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God made us alive. This imagery of being born again is a perfect analogy. If you think about it, how many of you had a say in your birth? Not a single one of us did. And the reality is, is that God is the one who is in control of whether or not a person has children. That's the reality of it. And every child is a miracle from God. Even your parents didn't have a decision on uh, on what gender you were going to be, or when you were going to be born, or when you were going to. Uh, I mean, they had God used the actions of your parents, but but the reality is is that God, working in His mercy and His grace, He is the one who caused a child to be born. In the same way that we have nothing to say about being born again, but it was God in His mercy and grace that has caused us to be born again, and now we see what he's caused us to be born again to. We have been born to a living hope. Now, what is hope? Hope is looking forward to something with some reason for confidence, respecting its fulfillment. Now, I've heard it said that there there are three things in life that every person needs to live. Food, water, and shelter. But I would argue that there are four things that every person needs in order to live it. And the fourth thing is hope. Because we all know people who've had food and water and shelter who have died. Have you ever, ever heard those stories of those couples who have been together for married for 50 years? And one of them passes on to go be with the Lord in glory. And one person who is completely fine two weeks later passes away. They have no hope for living. We need hope. I just want to speak to you today. If you're somebody who feels hopeless, there is a hope for you. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what background you come from. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter anything. Every person who's ever been born has the exact same hope. And that hope has a name, and that hope has a pulse. And that hope is Jesus Christ himself. We need to embrace that. Because our world speaks really loud. And pain speaks really loud. And suffering speaks really loud. And our enemies, our flesh, and Satan and demonic forces speak really loud. But we have to let the word of God triumph over all of those things. We have to let the Word of God teach us that in hopelessness, as we feel hopeless, no matter what happens in this life, even if it gets worse, we have a hope that is yet to be revealed. And that's what this text tells us. And this hope is Jesus Christ himself. It says to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We have this inheritance that's going to be coming to us. I think that's another really good analogy. Because you can't earn an inheritance. An inheritance is given from the parents when they pass away to the children. This inheritance that we get is because we're children of God. Again, it has nothing to do with our merit. And it's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now, is there anything in this life that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? Absolutely not. Everything dies. Everything is corrupted because of sin. And there is nothing that is unfading. But we have a hope in an inheritance that we're going to receive in Christ that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's a beautiful truth to put our faith and trust in. And and we're guaranteed it. Look at what verse 5 says. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You think about this idea of salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You think, well, what about salvation? What about being saved when I surrender my life to Christ? Well, you've heard me say before that that Christianity and salvation is an already but not yet fully realized reality. So first you have to realize that God exists outside of time. And at the moment of conversion, at the moment of surrender, you were declared holy and righteous and blameless in the sight of God. Actually, it says in Ephesians that that happened before the foundation of the world. Yet what we see in the scripture is that after the point of salvation, there's this progressive sanctification becoming more like Jesus that happens throughout our lives through testing and trials and trusting in God. And as we go forth, the scripture tells us when all this will culminate and when all of this will be realized, Philippians 1.6 says, at the return of Jesus Christ. That's the salvation that is to be revealed. It's Christ coming back. It's him taking over this world. It's him making everything perfect and new. It's living in this beautiful new world with no sin, no sorrow, no suffering, no pain, no crying. And he's the king and he's the judge. Now, how many of you praise God for that? That Jesus would be the one that we follow. That's the salvation that's ready to be revealed at the return of Jesus Christ. The second thing we can see is that we praise God that our suffering reveals our faith. With joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Listen, Peter says, listen, okay, you've got this hope, you've got this inheritance, but what's going to happen in this life is you're going to suffer. You are going to face trials. You're going to face pain. You're going to have hardships. You're going to get persecuted for your faith if you live for Jesus. You're going to face hardships and trials in this life. It's an absolute guarantee. He says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He also is real. He's like, you grieve when trials come into your lives. It's okay to grieve. Death and sorrow and pain and agony were not in perfection in the Garden of Eden. It is sin that has brought these things into our lives. So when someone is taken from us, it is okay to grieve. It is okay to have sorrow. It's okay to grieve in your pain and your suffering. But don't grieve as those who don't have hope. Grieve as those who do have hope. Don't let grief overcome you. Don't let grief take your life away from you. Don't let anxiety consume you. Don't let depression take you. Realize that there is a hope. And look to that hope. Your hope is not found in anything else at all. And what's happening in your suffering is your faith is being revealed to be true. It's being tested if we look at the scripture, if we look at the parable of the sowers, we see that the sower goes out and sows, and all of these different seeds, they spring up, and one of them, it withers because of suffering and persecution that comes. When pain and suffering and persecution come into the life of a believer, when we stand firm and we live for Christ and we realize the hope, that's when we are proved to be faithful. So if you're somebody who is facing suffering today, stand firm. Stand firm. In the grace of God, stand firm in the hope that you have. You will prove to be faithful. Jesus tells us all over scripture, we're going to face trials and suffering. And the third thing is that we can praise God that salvation has come. I just want to invite the team forward because if I don't, I'm going to preach all day. I could have preached three <laughs> messages on this sermon. So powerful. Praise God that salvation has come. Verse 10 concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let me just sum that up for you. All of these people in the Old Testament, the prophets, Daniel and and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah and Isaiah and all of these people, they were speaking of a hope that now in 2020 is realized. Do you know? What an Old Testament prophet would do to live in a world where the Holy Spirit indwells God's people. You have to grasp that. You have to grasp that these people were talking about a salvation that was going to be revealed. They were ripped out of their homeland. They were taken to Babylon. They were persecuted. They were killed for their faith. And all they did is said, God, I, I know you're going to give me a hope. I know there's something to come. There's a Messiah that is to come. It's going to happen. I know it. And they talked about it over again. Listen, Abraham, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. But that realization didn't happen until Jesus Christ came. Died on a cross. So that you could be forgiven of your sins. So that you could be made right with God. So that in that very moment... When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, your slate is wiped clean and you are made new and your hope is not anything this world has to offer. Your hope is in Jesus Christ alone. So the question is, if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus. Have you responded to faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, certainty of things unseen. Faith is a stepping out. But you're stepping out into something so firm and so real that it's more real than you and I. A hope that is to be revealed. A reality that is to be revealed. An inheritance that is to be revealed. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please do not leave here today without giving your life to Christ. Maybe some of you are at a point where you are like, I am so hopeless, I don't know if I can go on. Maybe you are. 48% of people say that in this time we're in right now, they suffer from anxiety and depression. Listen, Christ is the answer. Christ is the hope because we serve a God who is living and breathing. So if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, realize you're a sinner, turn away from your sins, surrender your lives to Jesus, and ask him to forgive you. Say, God, I don't know all the ins and outs of this, I don't know all the details of this, but I give my life to you today and I trust in you. I give it to you, I surrender. I put up the white flag. I know I can't do this on my own, but I I, I trust you. Giving up never felt so sweet. Surrender your life to Jesus today because everything the world has to offer is dead. And the reality is is that we serve a living hope and that is Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word we thank you for your truth we thank you for your grace we thank you for your forgiveness we thank you heavenly father that we do not have to put our hope in what the world has to offer because the world will always fail us but we have a hope that is true and real we have a living hope that is Jesus Christ who has taken the chasm that laid between us and has brought us There is no longer separation between us and Christ, but we have a hope that is not dead. We have a hope that is alive. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.